0: Father, our King, Lord God, we thank you that you have left us your word written down for us and also that you've left us your Holy Spirit to make your word alive in our hearts so that it's not just with our intellect, but with our very being, very the center core of who you made us, that you will quicken that word in us so that, it's, that we will not be puffed up with knowledge, but we will always, those who want to walk in love and walk out your truth towards each other. In Yeshua's name, amen. Uh, We've been working through the book of Hebrews, and we reached the point of talking about, uh, we did the first session of doctrine of baptism. So if you look at Hebrews 6, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Messiah, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. We've covered that already. Uh, faith towards God, we've covered that already. Of doctrine of baptisms, we started that last Shabbat and we're going to continue today. Uh, one thing about these foundations is not about the intellectual understanding of these. The exhortation of being able to move on if God permits, the author says, has to do with incorporating the truths of those doctrines into our lives so that we are practically walking them out. So you can study and study and study and there's a scripture that says some people are always studying but they are never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But we want to come to the knowledge of the truth, and what they mean is not the intellectual knowledge, but that you practically are living out what God has said, that you've learned to discern between good and evil, and you're exercising your life in such a way that your life portrays the truth of God's word, that people can watch you. As Rav Shaul, Apostle Paul said, said, follow me as I follow the Messiah. That's a bold statement. But if you are walking in the Spirit, and you're walking out to the things of God, you should not be afraid because somebody comes to you and say, well, how do, you, how do you know God? How do you say, hey, just hang out with me. Just follow me as I follow the Messiah and you will see God moving and working. And that's a challenge. And if you're not at a comfortable yet to say that to someone, then continue in his word that it will grow up in you and the fullness of it will come out so that you will be free to say that to someone without any laughter, as you say it, without any like, wow, that's, that's a little bit too much. But knowing that God is working his truth in you. And so last week, uh, well, the week before last, we talked about, we started down this thing, doctrine of baptisms, and it is baptism. It is plural, and and the word that's used here, uh, baptismon, means really has a general idea of washings, various washings. It could refer to pouring. It could refer to sprinkling. It could be. It could refer, refer to full immersion in this scripture. We're going to see later that there's other words that are used to give a deep understanding. But that's what this means. And if you understand it in the context of who it's being written to, it's being written to the Jewish believers of that time who are going through persecution for their faith. And so the whole book of Hebrews is written to encourage them so they wouldn't lose hope. And so the writer is pretty much aware of what they know. And so when he writes them, he can appeal to things. And that's what he does throughout the book of Hebrews, especially when he speaks of the tabernacle and the temple. He says, hey, you guys have been taught on these things. You, you know about what's done with the high priest. And you know about the washings and involvements and the sacrifices that are there. And he would have also touched on things that would have developed by the first century. And we'll get into some of that, Lord willing, if the time permits. But, but we, have, we started with going way back. That's what we did last time. We said, hey, look, if we're going to talk about these washings, we need to go back to the source of these washings. And so we went back to Torah. That's where we started. And we just did a very quick walkthrough to Torah. And we saw that washing washings was an intimate part of the life of Israel. And the priesthood. Everything that they did, that we saw, that there was washings. That if you if you touched something that was unclean, you had to wash. If you're if if you went to somebody's house who had a disease and you left, you had to wash. If you if if there's a certain issue of blood that's coming from a wound or something in your body, you had to wash. If you sat on something that that object had to be washed. Uh, if, if you went into somebody's house to visit them and they had certain diseases and you sat on their furniture and stuff, before you could come back into the congregation of the assembly of the community, there were various washings that you had to do. If, if various vessels were torn, were we saw last time, uh, if something unclean fell into them, depending on what the vessel was made of, some vessels you could take and wash, some you could put under the fire, some had to be destroyed. The clay vessels, if something dead and disease fell into it, you just threw it and you broke it up, and you went to Walmart and got another one because because it, it, the clay was porous. So if that disease thing got in there, the disease would get into the actual clay. So there was no redeeming that. There was no redemption with that. You just destroyed it. But other things like metal things, you could put under the fire and purify it, so you could reuse it or you could wash it. Garments, uh, if you. We saw last time that certain garments, if some sort of disease, mildew or something got in the garment, that you had to bring it for the priest and he would analyze it. And if it stopped moving and it wasn't spreading, then he would declare it clean and then he would tell you, go wash it and yourself So so washing was very much a part of the community. The priest, Aaron and his sons, before they could go into service, we saw last time that they had certain washings that they had to do. Sometimes it was just the hands and the feet. Sometimes it was their entire body had to be immersed in water completely underneath before they could go and serve. Uh, If you were serving in the temple as a priest and as you were handling holy things like certain sacrifices after you were finished, You take off those linen garments, and then you would go wash. If the ashes of the red heifer were given to you to carry outside of the camp, before you come back into the camp, you had to wash. If you were a warrior... You know, you were the guy that went out to do all the fighting. You did that. You had your, your mixed martial arts training and you knew how to fight and you've been through Marine training and you're fighting for the house of Israel and you're winning battles and then you come home and you're ready to go come back home. No, no, no. I mean, some of this stuff seems like common sense. Think about it. I know if I came home from playing a rigorous basketball game and was all sweaty and yucky and tried to come to my house and hug the wife, my wife stops me at the door. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you, you can't be going all over the house sitting on, on the furniture with all that stuff. You got to go get clean before you can go do that. Well, that's what God instructed Israel to do. That before they could come back in the camp, here they are with their swords, bloods on their garments, you know, they're sweaty, they're dirty. He's, oh, you, wanna, you cannot come back into the congregation of Israel until you have washed your clothes and washed yourself. You've immersed yourself in water before you could come in. And all of these things had to do with purity and separation. Purity and separation. And so we saw that this washings, these washings, which, which included pouring, which included sprinkling, which included total immersion, all of that was involved in the regular ongoing life of the life of every Israelite. And the temple played a, a crucial part in that. And so we saw that last time. So I'm not going to look at all the verses concerning that because we want to cover as much as we can today. But, but I do want to highlight them again. You know, if you touch Leviticus 1140, touching a clean animal, an animal you can eat. If you even touch the carcass of a clean animal that died of itself, It says, and he that eateth of the carcass of it shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. He also that bareth the carcass of of it shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. Now, there, there are basically two key Hebrew words that are used in the Torah, Now, there are other words that were developed later that came from the influence of rabbinical Judaism and everything later, but the key words used in the scriptures themselves is the word kavas and the word rachetz, rachatz, I mean. Now, some people might be familiar with rachatz because if you're familiar with the Passover Seder, one of the things of the Passover Seder is entitled (laughs) rachatz. And it had to do with the washing of your hands and the pouring it out and washing of your hands. And that, that word is mainly used when it talks about and the priest should wash their feet and their hands. The word that's used there is rachatz. And the other word, uh, kavas, is used also for washing hands and feet, but it also extends into the washing of the entire body and clothing and everything. And the word has a very interesting meaning, the word kavas, because it literally means to take something and to put it under the water and, and, and scrub it and, and rinse it. And, you know, it had to do with really being immersed in the water to cleanse it out. Cleanse it out. So when they talk, talk about cleaning vessels, it wasn't just throwing a little water, but you got it under the water, and then you bore it out, and you scrubbed it, and you got it clean. These were the terms that were, were used back then. Those are the main two Hebrew words that are, are used, and it's used for when the ram pieces are, are, are broken up into pieces that they had to wash the, the entrails and all that. That's the word that's used, that's this cleaning, this cleansing that takes place. Now, as we continued on in Scripture, we saw that a spiritual application began to be given that went beyond the understanding of just the washing of the external in places like Psalm 51.2, where God says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The psalmist began to understand that what he had grew up seeing when things got defiled, that they had to be washed and made clean, he began to relate that he had become defiled inside. It wasn't just the external defiling, but inside he knew that something was wrong, and now he's crying out to God, Oh God, wash me! Rehats, cleanse me, wash me, put the water on me to bring me cleansing. Do a work inside of me. Psalm 51.7 says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was the thing they used to sometimes dip in the water and sprinkle on things or into blood and sprinkle. Moses dipped it and sprinkled it on the Torah, uh, the, the books he read, written, and, uh, and also all the people were sprinkled with blood and put upon them to separate them for a sign of their holiness. So it says here in the psalm, the psalmist is thinking of those things. He says, purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He understood that something beyond what he could do needed to take place to bring the type of cleansing that would make him right before God. He made this spiritual connection to what he grew up seeing physically all the time. Jeremiah 4:14. God is speaking to Jeremiah and says, "Oh Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? What? The, what? the thing is that when he speaks to Jerusalem, they were doing all the external things that they were supposed to do. But Jeremiah the prophet brings the heart of God that something was missing inside to take place, that washing that had to to bring that forth. And that's kind of what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Look, guys, you know about the washings. Then you need to walk that out in your life, not just the external keeping of these things, but understand the spiritual principle of these washings so that you are living a holy life, that you have the washing that comes from God that changes you from the inside out. You know, it's in the book of Isaiah. In the first couple of chapters, God says to Israel, I am, Ralph paraphrase, I am sick and tired of your offerings and your feasts and your sacrifices. I'm tired of them. When you pray, I'm saying talk to the hand because I'm not listening to you because your hands are stained with blood. And I'm not hearing a word you have to say. You have to think about the Holy God, we're doing what you said to do. We're bringing the sacrifices. We're, we're, we're doing all these things. But then God goes on and says, look. Yeah, you're doing all these external rituals. But in the marketplace, you're oppressing people. You're lying. You have false weights and measures. You're cheating people. You're oppressing the widow and the, and the poor. And, 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 and the stranger within your gates, you're treating them not with love when they should be shown love. And then he gives them amazing things. He says to them that they will come to him, though your sins are like scarlet, you'll be white like snow. I'm going to do a work in you. I'm going to take your iniquities and I'm going to cleanse you from the inside out. I'm going to bring a washing that will change you. Hallelujah. And so we begin to see that principle and it was based on that principle that as we go on in history, and we, we do, because, you know, we, if we're honest with you, there's not a, this, you don't really see like the word and they baptize this person, baptize that person in the Torah. You don't quite see it. It's there, but you don't see. You see all these washings and everything that's going on. I mean, you see some example of it with people like, uh, well, we think of Naaman. You know, here he was a leper and was told to go dip himself into the Jordan seven times. And, on, and he eventually came around to, he was resisting that at first, and he eventually came around to be obedient to the prophet's direction. And when he did that, when he came out of the water, his skin was like baby skin. All the leprosy was gone. We see that immersion that's taking place. And there are some other examples with the priest that, that certain times the priests had to bathe their entire bodies. And the bathing there wasn't just taking a washcloth. It was a total Immersion, a going totally in the water because there was a separation being made between the profane and that which is holy. God is making a separation between the life that you had before and the life. That you are entering into, and that was people understood that they understood that that exchange, that change that takes place as you would go through these waters of immersion. That when you came out on the other side, you would consider a new being, a new person. And and the, and the, interesting enough, but you know, rabbinical Judaism, its original origins came out of the destruction after the destruction of the first temple and, and the Jewish people taken off in the captivity in, up in, in Babylon and those areas. It's out of that that most scholars will say would be the beginnings of what we'll later call rabbinical Judaism because, you know, the, the temple had been destroyed. But the scribes and priests and others who were still alive would gather people together and begin to teach them because they didn't have a Torah scroll anymore, but these guys had memorized it. So they began to teach them, and that's how what we know today as synagogues, houses of study and learning, were first developed outside of Israel. It was doing after this time, after the temple was destroyed. And so that's where they began to teach. And as they began to teach that, they had to give instruction into what people had to do, and it's at that time that a lot of people from the nations, like, uh, uh, if you read, like, the story of, of, of um, Esther, we see at the end, it says, many of the people of the land, Judaized, became Jews. They joined the Jewish religion. Well, they had to come up with, what do we do with these guys coming in? And, and they began to look at the concept especially later on when the Pharisees came about. Uh, You know, Pharisees get a bad rap all the time because we know Yeshua clashed with them a lot. But there are many places where Yeshua and the Pharisees were in agreement, just like with Paul the Apostle. In the book of Acts, you know, when Paul was brought up before a trial, and he sat there and he's before the Sanhedrin, and he perceived that some of the people were Pharisees and some were Sadducees. The Sadducees, as you know, did not believe that there was life after death. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe there was anything beyond that. They didn't believe in the resurrection, even though the book of Daniel talks about it. But the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They taught the resurrection. They knew there would be a resurrection, and Paul the Apostle is a Pharisee. And he raised that, and so when he's in there and they're trying to put Paul on trial for preaching Yeshua, he says, he stands up and he makes his speech, I'm on trial here for the case of the resurrection, because he spoke of the resurrection of Yeshua. And immediately, the Pharisees said, Yeah! And the Sadducees, like, Well, we don't believe in the Pharisees. Then the Sadducees and Pharisees begin to fight with one another because of the issue of the resurrection. So it's not that the Pharisees were always off base because a, of a lot of their understanding was deep. It's just we get the recording in the scriptures of places where there were Pharisees who were corrupt and they were not open to the truth of God. But that doesn't mean that every Pharisee was that way. We, we got to be careful. Oh, the Pharisee, spirit, no, da, da, da. We, we got to be careful. Not every Pharisee was that way. In fact, the heart of the Pharisee was that they wanted to take the things related to the temple that dealt with cleanliness and holiness and bring it into people's daily lives. That it wouldn't be only for the priests but that every house of Israel would walk upright in the holiness of God. And so they were looking at ways of bringing these things that they understood were related to the tabernacle, to the temple, and bring it into the common person's life. The Pharisees were really for the common people. The Sadducees were the aristocrats. Uh, they were the high and rich and wealthy and power, and they really didn't want anything to do with the little people. But they're actually, the little people loved the Pharisees. They, they ran to them. They were the ones they looked to for teaching and instruction. And so the Pharisees, a later Pharisees, understood that when they looked at the whole issue of washing, they looked at Leviticus 15, and if we could go to that. Let's see. Leviticus 15, verse 11. And it says this thing. And whoever the one that has a discharge, if anyone touches that person and has not rinsed his hands in water, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until the evening. They so saw in this this simple verse of washing and cleansing, dealing with if you, somebody had a discharge and you messed, touched them, or everything, that you had a responsibility to go through a total immersion in that separation. And so they incorporated that first for those who were becoming proselytes. Within Judaism, that they figured, hey, they were worshiping false gods and idols. And now that they're coming in, they need to have this separation between the life that they lived before and enter into new life. They, and so they, they expanded it to proselytes, but they also expanded to other things. And a lot of those things are still in practice to Orthodox Judaism to this day. Because really, if you study it, you will see that a lot of the things of the Pharisees flowed over into eventually what became Orthodox Judaism, that they were the ones who survived after the second destruction of the temple. Sadducees lost a lot of their power and influence at that point. But the rabbis, the Pharisees, were able to continue, and they they were very very much in a, a, a position to influence the growth and the direction of Judaism, partly with Talmud, and the things that were done with that, that helped to shape the Jewish community and their understanding of these things. So to this day, you have what's called uh, netalat yadayim, which is the lifting of the hands. is the washing of your hands before a meal. There was also the washing of your hands from the moment you got up that you would wash yourself, that they felt that through the evening, who knows, and so you got to wake up in the morning, you start with clean hands before the Lord. So the first thing you would do is go wash in the morning. That if you had touched anything of impurity, unclean object, visiting a cemetery, uh, going to the bathroom, cutting hairs and nails, had your finger inside your nose digging around or or your ear, that if you did any of those things, that it was expected after you did those things that you would wash. And we say, thank God for the Pharisees. Hallelujah. We are so happy that they discovered that and made that a part. One of, I know this is sound awful, but one of the scariest things, you know, you work in a workplace, you're always shaking people's hand. Hey, good to meet you. That's our natural greeting in, in the West. Sometimes I'd rather be more Japanese about it, maybe just bow to people. And here's Why? I've been in restrooms where men are doing what men do in restrooms and what ladies do in their restrooms. And then I know, and I'm going, I'm washing my hand and I'll see a guy come out and go straight out back to the workplace. And then later on that day, I'll see him. He's, hey, Ralph, good to see you. And I'm like, oh. (laughs) You know, and I'll shake his hand and as soon as he walks out, I'll run right back in the bathroom and wash my hands. Because I know this guy doesn't wash his hands after what he's done. And Torah says we really should do that. When you're touching something unclean, you should wash yourself. It's a principle. I'll tell you a story real quickly. When Dr. Tote, Jean, you know, she was very much active in part of establishing work in, 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 in Ghana where uh, she established a nursing school, working with a congregation that was there. And as she went the first time to meet them, they were so happy to have. They called her mother, Mama Jean. Is what they called her. Oh, Mama Jean's here. She's going to help us get the nursing stuff in place. And we've been having a lot of sicknesses and disease and things going on. And they were thinking this, this, this. They knew she was one that believed in the power of the Holy Spirit and and taking authority over demons and calling them out, and they're saying, you know, the demons are making us sick here, and we're glad you're here from America, Mama Jean, that you can deal with some of these demons. So she gets there, and she takes time to observe the practices of this village that's out in, in the jungle part, just way out. And she's observing, and she's realizing some things. The ladies weren't washing their hands after they did certain things, that the latrine was very close to where the water would be from, and that they had no sense of washing, and so because of that, they would do things then go prepare food, and so people were getting sick. And so she looked at them. She said, I'm going to teach you. So she got them all together, and she taught them out of Torah. If you touch something unclean, you're to wash yourself. If you're to do this, you go to the bathroom. You're to wash yourself. And she instructed that. And within a short time, the community became well and happy, you know, without casting out one demon. Not one demon had to be cast out to turn this around. I'm, and we're not against casting out demons. they are demons, and they need to be driven out. They need to be driven out. But some diseases come on people because they're violating the principles of God's Torah, and they're bringing disease upon themselves. So to share that, that importance of that is very, very important. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. So, so the, the rabbis understood this. Even up to the point of, I'm going to introduce you two words, mikvah and tvilah, or to T-V-I-L-A-H, and we put a little E because there's not an E in Hebrew, but that helps us to say it in English. And the word mikveh, that's the the place, it literally means the containing of water. It's a place that water is gathered together. And in mikvah is, is, is like, in the Christian world, they'll call it a baptismal. But in, in Jewish words, it's called a mikvah. And, and, and among Orthodox and Hasidic Jews, they still have mikvah houses where people can go in, and they have a men's side, and they have a women's side, and, and you could go in, and you, you go into these this water, and, uh, and you go up to about... Uh, Chest deep, and then you, you, you drop yourself under, and there's immersion that's there. Uh, it's not, you don't use soap, and I'll let you do that before you go to the mikveh. It's not for scrubbing your outside body. You do that with soap and other things, and then you go into the mikveh, and it's used for spiritual separation. And it's used for lots of things. Uh, some men do it at Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day before. Uh, some do it uh, every Shabbat before the Sabbath comes in. There are Hasidic Jews that will go in and go through the mikveh water before they come in for the Sabbath. Women do it after nidah, their monthly menstrual cycle. Once they finish, they will go to a, a mikvah house and, and, and they will, will immerse themselves there. And all of these are seen as a separation from where you were before to coming out a new and living creation on the other side. And, and the word tevila means to immerse. It, it means to be totally put under water. And um, so with that, with that, we want to move on to talking about baptisms as we move into the first century. What happened there? And of course, the first person we think about is John the baptizer. He's the first one that we think about when we think of of water baptism. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's a pattern within baptism that, that is there that you can look at. And let me tell you what that pattern is. It's a very simple one. You all understand this. Number one, that there's a person who's doing the baptizing. We'll call him the baptizer. Number two, there's the baptizee, the person who's being baptized. There's a substance involved in which the baptizee is being baptized into by the baptizer. Okay, you got that? Hopefully you're following. There's a purpose for that baptism. And you will see that there's a pattern with that. So let's first start with John's baptism. The scriptures tell us, we'll go over and look at it, Matthew, the third chapter. And understand that by this time, the, the, the Pharisee practice of total immersion was very much part of the Jewish community. The understanding of that was very much a part of the Jewish community. So when the writer of Hebrews is writing to this Jewish community, he under, knows they understand this, and, but he's exhorting them to, under, to bring the principle of that into the way they're living instead of being in fear to understand what has happened through these things. So we read in Matthew 3... In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Then John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan, went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So his baptism was a baptism of repentance. People understood that they were coming there because they were repenting, and this is why they were submitting. John is the baptizer. The people of Israel from Judea and all around were coming out in the Jordan where he was baptizing, they're the ones that are the baptizees. The substance is the water of the Jordan, and the purpose is for repentance. Now we can learn a few things here. First of all, he's out by the Jordan, and he's baptizing out there for a reason, because he wasn't just putting a little sprinkle on people. He could have had a big, you know, big container and just okay. He could have been in the middle of Jerusalem doing this, but he wasn't. He was down by the Jordan. And then to this day, if you ever go to Israel, there's a section in the Jordan that people have set aside for people to go get baptized. And the whole idea was that the thing that he was doing was what had become very common among the Jewish people, which is immersion. By the way, the word that's used here for baptism, the root word in the Greek, is the word baptizo. The word baptizo means to immerse. It is a word in classic Greek that meant to take clothing and to put it under the water to dye it. When I was a kid growing up, my parents used to, my mom used to make things and they'd be out of one color and I wanted it blue or some other color. And so they, we had these big tin pots. I grew out in the country. And they she would fill it with hot water. And then she'd go get a package of dye and mix it into the water. And then she would take the material and we had this big paddle and we put the material in and we get it totally Under the water until it was totally saturated with the substance that it was put in. So that when it came out, it took on the nature of what it had been immersed into. So it went in one color and it came out another color. And we understood that. That's what the word baptism means. To be immersed that you are totally, totally saturated with what you've been immersed into and the purpose of it. So much so that when people came, and here's the interesting thing because people ask the question, well, is it the water that brings the salvation? No, let me ask you a question. And then we're going to see the answer right here. Did John baptize people who were repentant or who were unrepentant? Repentant! He did not baptize people who were unrepentant. It goes on to say, Then when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to this baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children Abraham from these stones. And he goes on to speak of the judgment that was coming and the coming of Yeshua, and he talked about that. So here's the thing. There are people who can go through the ritual of baptism. And before they're baptized, they are a dry sinner. Then they get immersed in water and when they come out, they are a wet sinner. because you do not baptize sinners. you baptize people who believe. John refused to not baptize the Pharisees who were not repentant. Now, people today may have done it for a photo opportunity. It would be like the president of the United States and all his staff come in, and we were having a day of baptism, and the cameras are there, and he comes and say, hey, I would like to be baptized. I could be very tempted to say, oh man, this is a photo op. Come on up, bring your whole staff here. Come on, we're, we're, yeah, yeah, I'm the one that's baptizing them. No, I would hope I would have the, 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 the chutzpah, the goal is to say to the president, Are you really a believer in Yeshua, the Messiah? Have you accepted him as Lord of your life? If you have not, then repent and bring me fruits of repentance and then I'll put you in the water. But if you don't come repentant, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So you have to already have had a change of the very thing that you're getting getting ready to enter into. In other words, it's not the water that caused the repentance. The repentance has to be there before you go through the waters, okay? It makes you a candidate once you repented that now you could come into John's baptism. So that's important, and you see this pattern. And, and Peter says something similar to that. And for time's sake, 1 Peter 3.21, he says, hey, in this present time, that baptism does bring salvation, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. I'm not talking about the water baptism that brings, that's not what saved you. I'm talking about an answer to a good conscience that in your heart, you responded to the call of the kingdom of God. Yes, you should receive the outward sign of water baptism, but you need to already be in Messiah before we allow you to go through the waters. It's not the waters that's going to change you. Only the Spirit of God can change you from the inside out. So we see that. And so we see that pattern with John very quickly. Now here's an interesting one. What about Yeshua? Because Yeshua came to John's baptism. Hmm. This is uh, interesting. How, why would Yeshua come to his baptism? Well, let's look at Matthew 3. I think it's 3. Maybe it's John 3. Let me check. Yeah, Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Yeshua came from Galilee to, be, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. I need to be immersed by you. And are you coming to me? But Yeshua answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, and then he allowed him. What's going on there? Obviously, Yeshua was righteous and holy in every way. So, why would he come to this baptism? Because he says to fulfill all righteousness. It was understanding that part of John's message was prepare ye the way of the Lord. God's kingdom is coming in. It's time for those who are going to be of a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, to rise up and take their position as priests to minister before the Lord. Well, Aaron and his sons had to go through washings, not necessarily because they were wicked at the time, but illustrative of preparing for the office that they're about to go into. So Yeshua, recognizing that not only he's Messiah, but also know that he walks as as a priestly role, understands that he's about to begin his priestly work and service, and he needed to fulfill all righteousness, which had to do with preparation of going through the waters. And by the way, what we just say, do you baptize people who are unrepentant or repentant? Everybody that came to John's baptism had already repented. They weren't coming there to, and then I'm gonna repent. No, they already repented. Before they went in the water, they already, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I did this wrong, no excuses. I committed this sin before, and John says, that sounds like repentance to me boom, under the water they go. And so here Yeshua, who's perfect in every way, has not committed any transgression, and yet he submits himself to this baptism for the service and ministry that John was preparing the house of Israel to do, which is preparation for the kingdom of God that's coming into this world. I know those two minutes are gone by now. They got to be. <laughs> I saw that 10 minutes time, but I know it has to be gone by now. All right, well, we're going to close off as much as I want to go on because I do want to honor Maynard later on to have that time at the end and not have to keep you guys here this long. So let's close in prayer. And the worship team, if you could return. Father, in the name of Yeshua, as we begun, began today, this beginning work of how these baptisms apply to us, Father, I pray that you prepare the hearts of this community, that as we move on to talk about the, the baptism by the Holy Spirit and the baptism in the Holy Spirit, when we talk about believer's baptism, Father, that, that we would have understanding of these things and we would be able to unravel the, some of the debate an argument that the body of Messiah has over these things, that we can bring that to an end so that we will be as one in these things. We pray this in the name of Yeshua.